Many of you would say that at some point in your life you were traveling on a road somewhere, some trip that you were on, and you took a wrong exit, got off the wrong exit. Anybody else have done this? Okay, a lot of us have had this experience. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? We're good? Okay. So years ago, I, I don't remember exactly how many, but we wanted to take our family up to New York City to see the big Christmas tree. And I don't know how it happened, because I think we had GPS this, uh, with us, but somehow we got off the wrong exit. And we got off the wrong exit, and then after that took a wrong turn or two, but somehow we ended up in this part of the city, in like this back street kind of place, and like a dead end, like the worst place you could possibly think of in New York City, no tourists, dark street, really super uncomfortable. And it was like, well, I really want to apologize to everyone in the car that I got you all murdered instead of, <laughs> instead of got you to see the big Christmas tree. And it wasn't like I woke up that morning with some weird... Uh, thought some weird plan uh, to take my family into a dangerous place in a dangerous part of the city. I assure you that that was, that was not my thought when I got up in the morning. It wasn't what I intended to do, but it happened. It happened because I got off the wrong exit. Our theme verse for this series, The Fool's Path, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And if you haven't Memorize it yet. I hope you're working on it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him or submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. He will direct your paths. So hopefully you're working on that verse this month as we walk through this series. But it's a reminder to us that there is this path of wisdom. And this path of wisdom that God has carved out for us is revealed right here. It's revealed in the Word of God. The Word of God is like a guidebook for life. You know, you and I, every day, we've got all of these questions that we have to answer. All kinds of questions. All day, every day. Questions like, how are we going to handle conflict? I'm pretty confident at some point over this past week, there was some level of conflict in your life, and you had to decide how you were going to handle it. Questions like, what does a healthy marriage look like? Questions like, what activities should I engage in? What activities should I avoid? You make decisions like that every day, and so do I. What are the limits on sexual behavior? Are there any limits? If you listen to our culture, you would think that there are no limits on sexual behavior. What's the right way to deal with our anger? I would suspect that maybe even this week you had to make a decision on how you were going to handle your anger. Is there a right way to handle it? Is there a wrong way? What limits, if any, should we put on the words that come out of our mouths? You have to make decisions about that. How do you handle money? Is there a right way to handle money? Is there a wrong way to handle money? How should we order our priorities? Should all of our priorities be self-serving? Or is there another way that we should uh, think about ordering our priorities in life? God's Word offers us a path of wisdom to be able to answer questions that you and I have to answer every single day. 
God's Word offers us guardrails and boundary lines, and they're there for a reason. They're there so that we don't uh, run off into a ditch with our lives, or worse yet, run off of a cliff. The path of wisdom helps us avoid those kinds of uh, devastating uh, trials in life that we don't have to go through, but sometimes we do because of our poor choices, because we, we don't pay attention to the guardrails, we don't pay attention to the boundary lines like we should. And the path of wisdom also leads us towards places in life that, that, uh, that give us joy and satisfaction and contentment and peace in life. So we want to be on the path of wisdom, but you know as well as I do that along the path of wisdom, there are these exit signs. He looked at a bunch of them last week. There's these exit signs that appear along that path, and they lead to the fool's path. And the fool's path will take us into places that are far away from God, and sometimes they will take us into dangerous places like addiction. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, just like my trip to New York City, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I, uh, I think today is the day I want to head off into some dangerous places and ruin my life. No one gets up and says that. No one gets up in the morning and says, I, I'm tired of peace and contentment and joy in my life. I had too much of it. What I really need in my life is an addiction that will control me and uh, what I really need in my life is something that's going to make life harder than it has to be. I'm kind of sick and tired of having the respect of my spouse. The respect of my children is way overrated. Uh, I think what I need is an addiction that will destroy people's trust in me and just make life hard. Nobody gets up in the morning and says that, and yet it happens, doesn't it? It happens all the time. How does it happen? Well, it happens when, when we get off the path of wisdom and we get off this exit and we get on to the fool's path. Now, just, just to be clear, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, you can, maybe you brought some along to write on. If you're using our digital notes, watch this definition on the screen, just so we all are clear what we're actually talking about when we say addiction. I mentioned uh, to my family this week uh, that I was preaching on addiction, and they like rattle off like five things they thought I was addicted to. Oh, yeah, you're addicted to you know, scratching your scabs, Dad, well, whatever, okay? They... It was kind of weird. It was a weird conversation. They seemed a little too happy about uh, pointing out my flaws. So anyway, this is the definition that we're going to be talking about when we talk about addiction today. I'm just going to walk through it with you. It's a compulsive chronic, something that we repeat over and over. Now, just pause. We sleep every day too, right? So we're not talking about just things that we repeat all the time. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We're talking about something that is compulsive and chronic uh, that is psychologically or physiologically this need that we have. For what? Well, perhaps for a habit-forming substance, perhaps for some behavior, some activity. Now, here's the key. We're talking about things that are harmful, things that are harmful to your, your body, right? A physical harm that it could cause, perhaps to your mind. It could distort things in your mind. It could be harmful to your relationships. They use the word social effects, but it could, it could be harmful to your relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your family members, your co-workers. 
something that I added this, if I, I, I'm not on the, the board of Webster's Dictionary, but if I were to be, I would have added spiritual. Because addictions can cause harm to your heart, not your physical heart, I'm talking about your, your soul, your spiritual growth and maturity. Of course, the end of that definition typically causing well-defined symptoms upon withdrawal or abstinence. So this is what we're talking about as we discuss addiction today. And the most obvious examples when I say the word addiction that probably come to mind are things like alcohol and drugs and nicotine and gambling, pornography. And you know, these are probably examples that you automatically think of when you think about addiction. And that's okay because that would certainly fall under this definition. But some of you right now are thinking, whew, I guess I can take the morning off because, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a meth addict. I'm not a pervert. I'm like Robert Palmer. You might as well face it. I'm, I'm addicted to love. That's it, right? Some of you got that. Good. I'm, I didn't know. I didn't know if you would get it or not. You know, and if that's you, praise God. By God's grace, uh, you wouldn't fall into that category. But I'm asking you, please don't tune out. Because addiction is like idolatry. It can be to anything that we use to replace God. It could be to anything that takes the place of God in our lives as a source of joy, a source of contentment or satisfaction, a source of peace, something that we run to when we're stressed or bored or have pain in our lives. We run to this instead of God. It can become an addiction. It doesn't even have to be something uh, inherently sinful. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in Isaiah 44. Would you join me there? Isaiah chapter 44, it's in the Old Testament, and this is a passage about idolatry. And it's a fascinating passage, I want to walk through it with you, but we're going to pull something out of this passage that I think really applies to our discussion on addiction. We're going to jump in to verse 13, it's describing a woodcarver. And this woodcarver measures a block of wood. So just imagine you've got this woodcarver. He has a block of wood, and, and he's carving something. He draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel. He works with his plane. He, he's got these tools. And he carves into it a human figure. He gives it a human beauty, and he puts it on a little shrine. What are we describing? We're describing the fashioning, the making of an idol. A piece of wood that someone carved into, a, uh, into an idol that they worship, that they put on a shrine and pray to and put their trust in. That's what we're describing here. Now, here's what's fascinating. This, this uh, block of wood, where did he get it? Well, he cut down uh, cedar, and he selected maybe cypress. He selected perhaps the oak, right? This, this was a tree. Did he, uh, did he create the tree? He did not create the tree. And then it says uh, he might plant this pine in the forest, but did he create the, uh, the way that a seed germinates uh, into uh, a tree? Did he, cre- did he create that process? No, he did not. Did he create the way in which this tree would grow and be nourished by the soil and be watered by the rain? It says he uses, or I'm sorry, he plants the pine in the forest 
to be nourished by the rain. He didn't create the weather cycle. He didn't create any of this stuff. God did that, right? He cuts down this tree, and he uses part of the wood to make fires. Now, get this. So he's got a tree. He's got some wood. Some of it he's taking and making it into an idol, and he's worshiping it, and he's praying to it. And out of that same tree, he takes some of that wood, and he throws it into the fire. He burns it. He uses it to keep himself warm. He, he burns it to bake uh, bread. Then, this is verse 15, then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it, he just threw some of the same wood into a fire and burned it, and he takes the rest of it and he makes himself a god to worship. And at some point, you should scratch your head and say, that doesn't make sense. Right? You should say that. You should think that. This doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't make sense to this woodcarver either. It says he makes an idol and he bows down in front of it. He, he burns part of the tree to roast his meat. To keep himself warm, and he says, Ah, oh, that fire feels good. And then takes what's left and makes it a, a, a god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping it and praying to it. And he says, Rescue me, he says, You're my God. I just burned uh, the same wood over here, but I'm asking this piece of wood to rescue me and provide for me. Verse 18 describes, I think, very accurately in the language of, of what this is, such stupidity and ignorance. It's foolish. Their eyes are closed. They cannot see. Their minds are shut. They cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. You think some of that might be going on in today's world? This is just a block of wood. This person should take a minute and just stop and reflect. Wait a minute, what am I doing? This is a piece of wood, but they don't. They don't think about it. I burned half of it for heat. I used some of it to bake some bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? That's a great question that should be asked, but he doesn't ask it. Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? No, you should not. See, the fool doesn't see that he's, that he's worshiping something, that he's putting trust in something that cannot bring joy, that cannot bring satisfaction, that cannot provide. Doesn't see that God's the one that created the tree, that God's the one who provided the rain to make the tree grow. And instead of worshiping and trusting in the creator of the tree, the woodcarver in this story, in, in, in this section of Scripture, worships the tree. Fool worships the idol. The reason I wanted you to see that, it's obviously a really good passage when it comes to idolatry, and you need to make sure that we've uh, cleansed our lives of any kinds of idolatry, but uh, I think in our conversation about addiction, it, it points something really really important out to us, and that is this, that even ordinary things, ordinary things, sometimes things that are good, sometimes things that are neutral, can become an idol in someone's life, like it did with this woodcarver, right? And addiction can be the same way. There are things in our lives that are good. There are things in our lives that are neutral. They're not necessarily in and of themselves sinful, 
But they can become places of addiction in our lives that will cause harm to our bodies, that will cause harm to our relationships with God and with others, that will cause harm to our spiritual condition in our hearts. I'll give you some examples. I think you would agree with me that eating is good, right? Eating is a good thing. We need to eat. But eating or not eating can become an addiction when we use food or the, or the starvation of, of ourselves. When we, when we take something like food, which is good, and we use it to deal with the pain in our lives, or we use it as a way to feel like we're in control, then what happens? Well, we, we, we would tend to get off the path of wisdom. We stop trusting God to bring healing in our lives to the hurts that we have, and we start, we start trusting something else. We feel like we're not in control. Instead of trusting God to be in control, we take control, and we, we use food, perhaps, as a way to do that. How about this? Sex is good. Sex is a good thing designed by God. It's to be enjoyed to the fullest within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. But sex can become an unhealthy obsession. It can become distorted in a person's mind and become this harmful addiction to a relationship between a husband and wife, to a person's mind, to a person's desires. Work is good. Laziness, bad. Work, good, right? But work can become an addiction if we are using it to find value, if we're using it to find self-worth. Instead of being satisfied that we are valuable and we have worth because of who we are in Jesus Christ, and that's enough, that's all I need, if we try to find validation and worth and value in work, it can become an addiction. It can become an addiction if we use work to escape from the tensions at home. If we use it as a means towards financial independence from God. We all have to make a living. But if we're not careful, we can, we can become addicted to work because we want to feel like we are in control. And financial independence from God can be a result of that addiction. How about this? Buying things is a normal part of everyday life. We've got to buy stuff. It's not sinful to buy things, but buying things can become an addiction if we use it as a way to deal with the fear that we have of not having enough. If we use it as a way to make us feel like we have value, we have worth because of the stuff that we have. I have some really nice stuff, therefore I am valuable, therefore I have worth. Instead of finding our value and worth in Christ, exercise is good. Being healthy, right? Trying to stay healthy is a good thing, but working out can become an addiction when it's no longer about being healthy, when it becomes about self-worth, when it becomes about value, when it's, when it's about a sense of self-control. I can't control what's going on in my life, but I can control what I eat. I can control how far I run on the treadmill. Therefore, I feel better that I'm in control of this rather than trusting God for those tensions that we sometimes feel in life when life feels out of control. 
And that's a tough one because exercise uh, is a really good way to reduce stress in a person's life, right? It's a good thing. But when I'm fully dependent, watch, there's a line, and it's a hard one to find, I, I admit, and I've, I've crossed it. Personally, I, I have. I've been guilty of this. There, there's this line that can be crossed where I'm no longer depending on God to deal with the stress in my life. I'm depending on this exercise. And what happens is exercise becomes like that tree that we read about in Isaiah 44. It's get used for keeping warm. It's used to bake a cake. And now we're using it as an idol to pray to, to trust. We ask it to keep us warm and provide our next cake instead of going to the one who can actually provide. And again, I'll, I'll be the first, I mean, I thought about this, I thought, how, how can we really make this interactive? I, maybe I'll get a microphone and we'll just go down through and I'll just point to random people. What are you addicted to? Uh, you want to do that? We could do that. No? So I'll be the first to admit in the room that I've crossed these lines. I've been guilty of crossing the line and taking something good, something neutral, something healthy, and distorting it into something that will pull my heart away from God, something that replaces my dependence on God. It can happen to any of us, and it can happen quicker and easier than we think, sometimes in subtle ways. And then We've taken the exit, the exit off the, the path of wisdom and we're going down the fool's path and sometimes you don't even realize that we're doing that until we're farther down that road than we ever thought we would go. So listen, if you're not struggling with some of the really destructive behaviors like drugs or alcohol, pornography, could we at least consider the possibility that there are things in our lives that we may feel that we need more than we need God. Can we consider that possibility together? We feel like we need this, whatever it is, to deal with our stress more than we need God, to feel safe and secure more than we need God, to cope with the pain inside of us, to cope with the anger inside of us more than we need God, to feel a sense of worth and value more than we need God. In the New Testament, there's this piece of wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I want you to look at it with me. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. This is the kind of thing that you'll find on the path of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. It's in quotes. That's a, that's a saying that was common at that time. I'm allowed to do anything. And he replies, but not everything is good for you. Not everything's beneficial to you. And even though, quote, I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. I must not be mastered by anything. I want you to say this with me. I'm going to say it, and then you're going to repeat it with me. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Would you say that with me out loud? Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Not everything is beneficial in our lives. Just because this isn't on the same destructive level as a meth addiction doesn't mean it's beneficial to us. Doesn't mean it's helpful to us. Doesn't mean that it's going to result 
in joy and contentment and satisfaction and peace in life. And when we become mastered, controlled, enslaved by something that we feel that we have to have to survive, something that we, we must have in order to relax, we must have this to feel a sense of value. Then we're moving towards an addiction. If it's something that we feel like we're going to put greater trust into, greater dependence into whatever this is, instead of God, we've taken the exit off the path of wisdom towards the fool's path. Last week, I confessed to you my addiction to cookies. And thank you for praying for me uh, throughout this week. Apparently, uh, it's apparently a bigger problem than I realized. I mean, who, who, finds, who finds a mysterious container of cookies and just decides they're going to steal one? Who does that? I was willing to risk being murdered by poison cookies. I was willing to do that. Because I wanted peanut butter cookies with the Hershey kiss on it more than I wanted my own life. Now, I'm being overdramatic on purpose. I want to ask you a question. Honestly, is there something in your life that you would say has mastered you? Don't, you don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to write it down so that the person sitting next to you can see it. You don't have to do that. But I'm just asking you to be honest between you and God. Is there something in your life that has mastered you. Maybe it is something like drugs or alcohol or, or smoking or vaping or painkillers or weed or pornography. Maybe it is something really destructive like that. Maybe it's, maybe it's something a little more subtle. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's the news outlet of your choice. Can't get enough of it. Maybe it's video games, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's an obsession with your own appearance. It could be anything that draws your heart away from God that you feel like you need more than you need Him. Now, some addictions will, will ruin your life. We know that. We've, we've seen that. Maybe you've experienced it. Some addictions will destroy your marriage. Some addictions can land a person in jail. Some addictions will take you to a place that is far away from God. A place where you aren't depending on Him. A place where you're not really trusting Him. A place where you don't feel this sense of need for His power. You don't feel a sense of need for His provision in your life because you got this. Just like my trip to New York City in that back street, those aren't the kind of places that we wake up in the morning and say, you know where I need to go today? I need to go to this dark place of addiction. Man, that sounds awesome. Nobody says that. We don't necessarily set out to end up there, but it can happen to any of us if we take the exit off the path of wisdom. So, let's say that your answer to that question, you, you are able to identify something that you would say, yeah, if I'm being honest, if I'm being brutally honest with myself, this has mastered me. This controls me. This is something I think I have more dependence in and trust in more than in God. Or I find myself worth, myself, uh, my, my value in this more than I do in just being in who I am in, in Jesus. If you would say, yes, I can look at that and I can identify that, okay, 
What do we do about it? How do we, how do we get off the fool's path and back onto the path of wisdom? I want to offer you just a few things that I think will be helpful. Here's the first one. The first one is you've got to admit that you've got a problem. You're never going to see any change in your life until you first admit that there is a problem. Is there something in your life that you run to when you feel anxious, when you feel stressed, angry, worthless, bored, something that you run to instead of God? Admit it. Don't make excuses. Don't rationalize it. Just admit it. Something in your life that's causing harm to your body, harm to your relationship with God or your relationship with others, harm to your spiritual growth. Admit it. There's something that has mastered you, something that has become, let's call it this, an unhealthy obsession. Hashtag Facebook. Hashtag news. Hashtag prepping. Hashtag eating cotton balls. That's a real thing, by the way. Whatever it might be, admit it. Now listen, if you're like an addictive personality and you're like, cotton balls, that sounds good. Please don't do that. Don't start. Please don't start that. I'll feel terrible. Don't do it. Israel was, as we saw here in, in uh, Isaiah 44, Israel was guilty of idol worship. Now I want you to go to Jeremiah with me. In Jeremiah, that's also in the Old Testament, In Jeremiah chapter 3, God describes their idolatry as adultery. Now, that's interesting. Uh, he, he uses the sin of adultery to describe their idolatry in Jeremiah chapter 3. And I want you to read what he, what he says, how he describes it in verse 12. This is what the Lord says to, to Israel. We know if you've studied Israel, uh, the history of Israel, you know that this was something they struggled with all the time. Uh, they would be uh, faithful for a while and then unfaithful for a while, and God would discipline them, and it was just like this cycle in their lives. And this is what the Lord says, Oh, Israel, my faithless people, come home to me, come back, right? That's the image, that's the, the picture of repentance. Stop going down the fool's path and come back. For I'm merciful, I won't be angry with you forever. Aren't we thankful for that, that God is merciful, that He wants us to repent, He wants to restore us when we sin? We're very thankful for this. But look at verse 13. What's, what's the first step towards that repentance? The first step towards that mercy is in verse 13. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord and committed adultery against Him by worshiping idols under every Every green tree, confess that you refuse to listen to my voice. I, the Lord, have spoken. Repentance, change, starts with first admitting that you're wrong. Admitting that there's a problem in our hearts. Admitting there's a problem in our lives. When we, when we make excuses for ourselves, I can't help it. I've tried to change. I can't, I can't change. I've tried we say things like, listen, I'm not hurting anyone, right? We rationalize our sin. Uh, we say things like, I don't, I don't have a problem. It's not a big deal. When we do these kinds of things, when we don't admit there's a problem, we will never take steps towards change. 
until we first admit, there's a problem in my heart. There's a problem in my life that needs to change. Once you've done that, once you first admit that there is a problem, now, now we can start looking for a solution. No one goes looking for a solution if they don't think they've got a problem, right? No one does that. So once we admit we have a problem, okay, here's the problem. What is the solution? The solution to a heart-level change is to trust the one person who can actually change the heart. Let me say that again. The solution to a heart-level change is to trust the one person who can actually change the heart. Who is that? Crowd? It's Jesus. Thank you. Galatians chapter 5. Would you open uh, or go back to Galatians chapter 5 with me? Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 15 of chapter 5. Verse 16. Let's start there. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And so we're talking to the believer when we trust Christ as our forgiver of sin, our Savior from hell. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And the challenge here in Galatians is to let the Holy Spirit guide your life down the path of wisdom. Okay, if we do that, if we let the Holy Spirit guide us, the result will be then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So you've got these cravings, you've got these desires that can become addictions that will, that will drag our hearts far away from God into places we don't want to be. Following the Holy Spirit keeps us from doing things that the sinful nature craves. He describes the sinful nature as, as wanting to do evil. It's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Now watch, these two forces, what two forces? The Holy Spirit that desires what God wants, that desires righteousness, that desires wisdom, and the sinful nature which desires the opposite of what God wants, the opposite of righteousness. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. There's a war happening, a spiritual war, so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, there's a long list here of, of sins that can drag our hearts far away from God, that can become addictions, that can become destructive in our lives. They don't lead us toward any good places. And you can read through that long list there. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not a complete list, but it's certainly a good sampling of some of the sins that our sinful nature wants to drag us into. But verse 22 says, the Holy Spirit produces a, a different kind of result. It's described as fruit, spiritual fruit. What are, these, uh, what are these good things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? These are good things that we want in our lives that lead us uh, into places that are filled with joy and satisfaction and contentment and peace. The gospel tells us that in order uh, for us to really understand our need for Jesus, we have to first admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, right? You're not going to go looking for Jesus if you don't think you need Him. So when the gospel says you have to first admit that you are a sinner far from God and, and you need a Savior because you can't rescue yourself. 
That's what the gospel teaches us. And so now we go looking for the solution to our sin problem, and we find that it is Jesus Christ alone who can rescue us from our sin problem. He's the only one who can provide forgiveness of sin because of His death on the cross and His sacrifice on the cross. He's the only one who can give us eternal life through His resurrection power. When He rose from the dead, He proved that. He proved His victory over sin. He proved His victory over over death. It's His resurrection power that can change hearts, that can change lives. And He does that through His Holy Spirit when we trust in Jesus. Right. So this is what the gospel teaches us. But the gospel also teaches us that as a follower of Jesus, there's this war going on inside of us every day. There's a spiritual battle happening every day in our lives. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in the believer, He wants to lead us on the path of wisdom. And what's the sinful nature want to do? It wants to drag us back into the ditch. It wants to drag us over the cliff. There's a battle happening inside of us. Every day, a daily battle that we have to fight until we get to heaven. We have to decide every day, are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit or are we going to listen to our sinful nature? Well, how do we fight that battle? How do we fight that battle? Ephesians, go to the next letter. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how we can fight this battle. Be strong, this is verse 10 of chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say be strong in yourself. It doesn't say fight this battle alone, fight it in your own power. It says be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The enemy has a strategy to defeat you. The enemy knows your weaknesses. He knows your soft spots. He knows where uh, the, the, the buttons are that would lead you towards uh, addiction, lead you towards uh, being enticed to be drug away by sin. He knows all that. And he's got a strategy. We better have a strategy to fight back. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This isn't fought with knives and bullets. This is a spiritual battle. We're fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, against, but against rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual battle happening, and we need to take it seriously. Therefore, how do we fight? Well, we put on every piece of God's armor so that we'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Do you feel like we might be living in a time of evil? Well, put on the, the armor of God, and after the battle, you'll be standing firm. What's being promised here is that we can fight this battle and win. Stand your ground. You hear that? Stand your ground. You need to fight back. How do we do that? Well, we put on the belt of truth. Where's the belt of truth? Right here. God's Word. We need to know what the truth is. What does God say? I don't care what the news outlet says. I don't care what our culture says. What does God say is true? Because that's what I can depend on. So we need to find truth in the Word of God. We put on the body armor of God's righteousness. So we've got to do what's right even when it's hard. 
The shoes, we put on peace that comes from the good news so that we're fully prepared. You want to you wanna be able to be prepared and still have peace in your heart when all this stuff around us looks crazy? How do you hold on to peace? You hold on to peace by trusting in the gospel by knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what goes sideways, no matter what breaks loose, the gospel says that we've got hope beyond this world, that we've got hope beyond this life. So who's going to take my peace? No one. In addition of all these, hold up the shield of faith. What does faith do? Faith stops the fiery arrows of the devil, his lies, his deceit, his trickery. Faith helps us fight those off. The salvation of, uh, as your helmet, right? Your trust in Christ alone as your Savior will guard your mind from these lies. The sword of the Spirit, which we just talked about, is the Word, the word of God. We can fight these battles with the truth that we know from God's Word. And of course, we pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. We fight these battles by depending on God to fight for us, to give us victory, which means that we've got to be dependent on God and not ourselves. Now, maybe farther back in the room, you can't see this. I don't know. I was standing back there this morning. "Ah, Maybe they don't know what I've got up here. What is this? Help the people in the back. What is this? All right, we got Starbucks, coffee mug, If you've already had too much caffeine this morning, please don't rush the stage or beat me up because I'm about to talk about coffee in a sermon about addiction. If he says that coffee is a sin, I will walk out! I say this as a fellow caffeine addict, okay? Listen, there's definitely a case to be made that you know, too much caffeine is not healthy for us, right? We understand that. But I don't think it's fair to, ca- to uh, categorize you know, coffee as some dangerous, life-ruining addiction either. The only reason I'm bringing up coffee as an illustration this morning is to have you consider this. If, if you are a, a person who enjoys you know, your coffee, enjoys your, your caffeine, which, uh, okay, I can see the eyes. Okay, calm down. I'm going to a good place with it. If, if, you've, if you've ever said, the words come out of your mouth, I cannot function until I've had my coffee. Now, if you're not a coffee drinker uh, and you've never said that, I bet you've heard someone who has. I cannot function until I've had my coffee. Could we at least pause and ask ourselves the hard question, do we feel that same way about our time with God? Now, maybe your time alone with God is in the morning, like with your coffee. Maybe it's some other time throughout the day. But I'm asking the question, do we have this deep need within us to spend time with God every day? Do do the words come out of our mouths at some point, I cannot function without my time alone with God? How dependent on God are you and I? to fight these battles that we face every day. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 is on the screen for you. We, we live in a world, yes, but we don't wage world, uh, war like the world does. The weapons that we're fighting, 
are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power. The weapons that God provides for us, these spiritual weapons, they've got the power to demolish strongholds. You might be mastered by something, but God is greater. You might have been dealing with this addiction for a long, long time. God's power is greater. We demolish arguments. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And watch, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. That is a powerful thought. Imagine the power to take control of every thought, every desire, every impulse. And instead of it mastering you, you mastering it and making it obedient to Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And that's what's being offered to us through God's divine strength. You and I don't have to fight these battles on our own. And if you are, if you are trusting in yourself instead of God's divine power to fight these battles, you will eventually lose. We need to admit that we've got this heart problem and we've got to trust Jesus as the solution. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. We need to ask for help sometimes. Proverbs 28, 13. Would you look at that real quickly with me? We're going to close with this. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. You want to hide it? It's not going to help. But if we confess and we turn from them, we will receive mercy. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, encourages us, challenges us to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so we can find healing. Instead of trying to hide your addiction, admit it, trust Jesus as a solution, and ask for some help. Now listen, there are people in our lives that you can't trust to help you. There are people like that, people that you can't trust uh, to keep, uh, keep things in confidence. They'll gossip about you, or uh, they'll perhaps enable you. They'll perhaps tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear, right? That's not the kind of people we're talking about. You and I need people in our lives that we can trust to keep confidence, but also to be honest with us and to point us back to God's wisdom, to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. You also, it is possible that you might need professional help. You might need to go to rehab. There's no shame in that. Get the help. Get into that support group. Ask, you know, ask our, our pastoral staff, I need some counseling. Can you help me out? Can you, can you get me connected to some counseling? Maybe, maybe you do need some doctor approved, not self-medication, but maybe you do need some doctor approved medication, right? You know, statistically speaking, people are far more successful in, in uh, breaking addiction when they have help. It's not even close. And I'll say this too, work together as a family to establish guardrails in your lives, in your, in your family unit. We're talking about the phone, the tablet, the computer, the entertainment, the activities, whatever it is, work together as a family to come up with guardrails and boundary lines and limits don't trust yourself. Please don't trust yourself. So now what? What do we do? Well, when we found ourselves in that dangerous street in New York City, we knew we couldn't stay there. The longer we stayed there, the more dangerous 
it became. We needed to turn around and find our way back to safety. You may not have intended to end up where you are. You might have been walking down that fool's path a lot longer than you thought you would travel. So I'm just going to say today's the day. Don't take one more step in the wrong direction. Admit you've got a problem. Look to Jesus as a solution and get some help. And I want to help you with two links. On our live stream page and at the end of the digital notes, I put these two links on there. One is just an article that you, every one of you should read. And I would encourage you read it and then talk it over with a friend that you trust. Talk it over as a family. It's one of those articles that just walks through uh, some really good biblical principles that we can apply to our lives. Talk about it. How can we apply this? Here's the second link. The second link is to a gospel-centered behavioral health ministry organization that can help you with addiction. I'm not saying it's the best one in the world. I'm not saying it's the only one in the world, but it is one that is gospel-centered. And if you need help, click on that link and take that step towards getting some help. We talked about the fool's path to addiction this morning, and maybe there's something that God took the spotlight on and, and, and put it right on that thing that's been mastering you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do before we leave. I'm going to ask in your mind, in your heart, to look at it. Whatever it is that God put the light on, would you just look at it? Look at, look at that thing that, that you've been trusting, that, that's controlled you. Look at it. And then I want you to look back at God. I want you to look at whatever that is that uh, you've been struggling to break free from. And then I want you to look back at Jesus. And I want you to answer this question, who's stronger? Who's stronger? 1 John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God's stronger. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this opportunity that we've had to spend some time in your word.